There is something wrong with the world. Can you see it? Do you feel it? It's all over the internet, on our news feeds, in our relationships. Things are just wrong, and they are getting worse. Society has become, in a word, toxic. But the gospel has an antidote. You see, some of you were once like that. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of our God. Thank you so much, John, and worship team. As we come to the morning message today, we are in a series going through the book of 1 Corinthians that we're calling Detoxicity, addressing our toxic culture with the cleansing power of the gospel. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians as we start in chapter 12 this morning. Today is also graduation Sunday, and we'll enjoy a recognition of our graduates at the very end of our service as well. Today we cover the topic of toxic spirituality. And to get us into that theme, let me just share with you a story. A few years ago, our family went on a cruise for the first time. We had never done anything quite like that before. So for us, it was a real treat. A cruise, as you know, is a paid vacation. People come there expecting to enjoy themselves. Uh, We are basically consumers. Uh, People gather onto this ship looking for what the experience can do for them. Uh, We are on the ship to relax, uh, while a very small crew works overtime to keep the vast majority of the passengers happy. Uh, The basic attitude of passengers is simply this, what can you do for me? Especially if you pay for first class. I am here so that you all can serve me. I I share with you that story not to say that there's anything wrong with taking a nice vacation. That's all fine and good. I share with you that illustration just to suggest that if we were to ever bring a similar mindset into the church of Jesus Christ, that would be very toxic to the body. Uh, When people come to church and treat it like it's a cruise ship, it is toxic to a church. We live in a toxic soup of entitlement in our culture. We don't see our entitlement. We are like fish swimming in a sea of consumerism, not recognizing the water. But yet we are wet, and so this message is hard to preach on because it is so countercultural. This is the American dream to live for myself. But what I want you to notice today in our text is this does not support that mindset whatsoever. In fact, what you're going to find as you look at the scripture today is that we're taught rather to put to death the whole idea that we belong to ourselves. And instead, we're commanded to live in a self-sacrificial way for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so perhaps a better image to think about when it comes to a church is not so much a cruise ship, but a battleship. 
See, on a battleship, each person has a job, each person has a role, each person has a purpose, a function, a responsibility. There's a clear and noble mission that everybody can be a part of. On a battleship, each person is encouraged to strive to be their best and contribute in significant ways. Everyone's strengths are being used to the fullest. The strategist is planning for the future. The captain is steering through the dark waters. The engineer is keeping all systems running. Friends, that's the way a healthy church should operate. There's buy-in. There's a sense of we sink or swim together. It's essential that everybody knows their gifting and is ready and able to use it. The mindset is all hands on deck. And so that's the title of my message today because I think that's the spirit of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll see three different parts to the message today. You'll see the giver, the gifts, and the goal. The giver, the gifts, and the goal. To begin our time in the Word, I'd like to read the Scripture passage for you first and just have you listen, and then we'll get into the message after that. So please, if you're able, stand in honor of God's Word as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Would you stand with me? Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want, you to know, I want you to know that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of giftings, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues." All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Father, in the name of your Son, we come to you right now thanking you for your word. It is a light unto our feet. It's a lamp unto our path. We pray that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see, most of all hearts to believe what you have to say to us and obedient spirits as we go out from this place. Take away any stumbling block that would prevent us from following you. We ask your blessing upon our time and your word for Christ's sake and for his reputation. And everyone said, 
Amen. You may be seated. Now notice how Paul begins chapter 12 in verse 1 by saying, now about the gifts of the spirits, the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Many people are uninformed and in fact ignorant about spiritual gifts. The word for gifts of the spirit is the Greek word pneumatikos, which means empowered by breath or wind. Some of you in your garage at home, you have a tool that is called a pneumatic tool, like a like a nail gun or something like that, because it is powered by air. That's a picture of what a spiritual gift is. You and I are the tool. The spiritual power is flowing through us. Spiritual gifts are an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice that, first of all, right off the bat, right in the beginning of chapter 12, Paul sets as the source of all of these spiritual gifts, God. At the very outset of this passage, from the front, God said, Paul says, it is God, the Holy Spirit, who gives these gifts. God who is limitless in his supply and resources and vast in his ability, in his ability to distribute these gifts. Ultimately, there is only one primary provider of gifts. Though they are given through human beings, it is God's people who do the work of God because God has first placed these gifts into their hands to use them. Even when we serve God, we must serve God in such a way that keeps him to be always the benefactor and we are always still the beneficiary of his gifts. It was God who gave the gifts to Corinth. It is God who gives the gifts here to Millington Baptist Church today. God exalts himself in giving these gifts. Paul further makes it clear in verses 2 and 3 that only believers can say Jesus is Lord and possess these spiritual gifts. If someone does not confess Jesus as Lord, they do not exercise spiritual gifts. Notice how the members of the Holy Trinity are all at work in verses 4 through 6. I've highlighted them in yellow on purpose so that you can see Father, Son, and Spirit all working together in harmony, distributing these gifts. Notice also there are three terms highlighted in green. What those refer to, number one, is the actual gift that's given to each person. Then secondly, you'll notice the word service. That refers to the opportunity that you have to use that gift in service to others and in service to God. Then third, you'll notice he says there's different kinds of workings. And what that refers to is the impact that you have when you do take your gift walk through the door of opportunity, and then have an impact to have God use that gift working powerfully through you. And what Paul is saying here is that all three parts, the gift, the opportunity, and the working, the impact, all, all are possible because God has made it possible. God is in charge of all of these three items. It is not about you. Spiritual gifts are about God. I emphasize this right at the beginning because there was a problem in the church at Corinth. Some people felt that their gift was superior. Some people felt that their gift was more important than other gifts. They had a toxic spiritual pride about them. And Paul has warned them already in chapter 8 that sometimes great spiritual gifting can lead to great spiritual pride. That can lead to a toxic culture in the church. This is important. None of the gifts are given for self-glorification. They are given to glorify the one true God because the glory belongs to the giver of these gifts, God himself. Dr. Michael Spiegel at Dallas Seminary, where I attended, said it this way. He said, spiritual gifts are not what the Spirit gives to you. They are what the Spirit gives to the church through you. We will see 
That if I exercise these gifts in a spirit that is self-glorifying, in a spirit that is not taking into account the common good, in a spirit that is not loving toward others, Paul will say, if you do that, you are like a resounding gong and you are like a clanging cymbal. And we'll get much further into that in chapter 13 in the sermon next week. But we see, first of all, that Paul says the source of these gifts, the giver of these gifts, is God himself. Number two, the gifts can be defined in this way. What is a spiritual gift? Well, here's a good working definition. A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to believers that empower them to serve the body of Christ with effectiveness. And every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are different from natural abilities or talents or your personality temperament. They are spiritually given. Verse 7 confirms that to each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that decides which gifts will be given to the church. Now, this is one list in the New Testament. There's actually five different lists in the New Testament that give us the giftings of the Spirit. Each list, you'll notice, is a little different. Each list is not exhaustive. Each list, rather, is representative of the kind of gifts that the Spirit has given to the churches. You'll notice that there are very familiar gifts on the screen, pastors, evangelists, gifts of service, gifts of leadership, gifts of mercy, and so on. Each one of you, if you confess Christ as Lord, has at least one of these gifts. Now, someone once asked me, Pastor Dave, do I get them all at once, or do they come over a period of time? And from my studies, what I find is you you get your gift the moment that you become a Christian when the Spirit enters your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean you discover it the moment you become a Christian. Uh, It's kind of like when you were born physically, you you had uh, a a sense of hearing, touch, smell, feel. As a baby, maybe you didn't know all of the gifts that you had as a little one. Only as you mature, you begin to figure out what you have, and you discover your hand one day, or you discover your feet. And and just like that, I think when we're born spiritually, sometimes over time, we discover what gifts God has given us, and then we exercise them. Just like a muscle, uh, the more we exercise it, the stronger the gift gets. So you've got gifts, and they might be hidden for you. And you might say, Pastor Dave, how do I find it? It's one of the most common questions I get. There's gift tests you can take. Some of those are really good. I can recommend one to you. But I would recommend you just ask yourself three questions. The questions are this. Number one, where do you serve with effortless strength? Where do you serve with effortless strength? Number two, where do you have unusual impact when you serve? More than you think you should. Where do you serve? And people go, wow, I really appreciate that. The Lord really used you. Where do you have unusual impact? And then last, where do other people feel that you're gifted? Where have you received confirmation from others in the body of Christ that, hey, you're really gifted to do that? And they begin to pat you on the back and and they begin to confirm those gifts in you. Other people will do that. Secondly, I want you to notice that we are to develop the gifts that God gives us. I am to develop the gifts that God gives gives me. Christianity is not a spectator sport. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul warns Timothy saying, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Friends, we're not just encouraged to use our spiritual gifts. We are commanded to use our spiritual gifts. It's not optional. Third, notice that you can't earn or work for a spiritual gift. That's a contradiction in terms. A gift is just that, a gift. It's something God gives, not something that you earn or work for. It's just like salvation. It is a gift. Actually, the word gift used in this passage to describe spiritual gifts is the word charisma. It's where we get our English word charismatic from. 
And when I use that word, I'm not referring to a certain denomination or a certain group of churches. I'm just saying that's the Greek word behind the word gift. And so here's something that might shock you. According to the biblical definition, every believer is a charismatic Christian. In the sense, every one of you is spiritually gifted with grace gifts that God has given you to build up the body of Christ. And then fourthly, notice that no one receives all of the gifts. If someone received all of the gifts, then they would have no need of anybody else. And God does not give any one person all of the gifts because he wants us to remain interdependent upon one another. All parts of the body are necessary, and without the diversity of the gifts, some of the needs of the community would go unmet. The gifts are not for personal enrichment, entertainment, or display. The gifts are for the blessing of others. Now, let me share with you two toxic attitudes that can creep into the church with regards to spiritual gifts. Toxic attitude number one is this. The church doesn't need me. Friends, that's a lie. Paul says in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Listen, if you have somehow felt that the church does not value you, or that the church has no need for you, or that, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's all taken care of, the, the people on the stage, all the professionals take care of it here. If we've somehow given you that impression, then I ask for your forgiveness. That is not the attitude of the local church. That is the attitude of the world. That's not the way God set up his church to function. No, God set up his church in such a way that we desperately need you. If we've communicated somehow to you that you're not important, that's not a message from God. No, God specifically designed his church with all of the body parts functioning together. If Millington Baptist Church is your church home, we desperately need you to use your spiritual gifts here. Now, let me share with you something that was a revelation to me as a young Christian, and perhaps it'll be a revelation to you as well today. You are the ministers of the church. You may have not ever thought of yourself as a minister before, but Ephesians chapter 4 says that God gives pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so our job as pastors, as teachers, is to equip you so that you might be effective in your ministry, to train you, to release you, to make a difference, and then get out of your way. The church has never been about one person doing it all. Paul says it's like a body. Every part of your body has a specific function, a specific role to maintain health in the body. I don't know. Somewhere along the line, we got this idea that we would hire a minister, and then that minister would do all the ministry. Friends, not only is that totally impossible for one individual to get up here and do all of the ministry, but even if I could do that, even if we could do that, it wouldn't be good for you for us to do all of that because you would be missing out on the joy of using your own spiritual gifts to make an impact in the body of Christ. The church does need you. Toxic attitude number two is the opposite. So the opposite attitude is, I don't need the church. Paul addresses the opposite attitude in this passage as well in verses 21 through 26. He says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. If you think that you don't need the church, I just would respectfully say, I disagree. Yes, you do. There are many things that you can successfully do alone. Being a Christian is not one of them. Yes, you do need the church. There are no lone wolf Christians. We need each other to function in a healthy way. See how both of these ideas can be toxic to the body. 
as I was trying to illustrate this concept in my mind, what came into my mind is honeybees. Anybody like to put honey in their hot tea? I like putting honey in my tea. It's a great blessing. But honeybees produce so much more than honey. More than a third of all of the crop species in the United States of America depends on honeybees for pollination. The commercial value of these crops is estimated to be over $15 billion a year. You say, how does it all happen? Well, the honeybee is one of the most highly developed social beings that God has ever created. At the heart of the hive is the queen bee. And the hive can house as many as 80,000 bees around the queen. But the other bees don't just sit around and look at the queen. They all have very specific functions. For example, there are forager bees who go out and encounter perils in the outer world and collect food for the hive. There are guard bees who fulfill the function of guarding the entrance to the hive from intruders. There are even undertaker bees who are responsible for removing dead bees from the hive. There are water collectors who bring in moisture to regulate the humidity of the hive. There are plasterers who make a kind of cement to repair holes in the side of the hive. There are scent fanners who station themselves at the entrance to the hive and fan the scent outward to signal to disoriented bees where the hive is so that they can get back home safely. And there are scout bees that keep the hive alerted to opportunities and dangers in the outside world. The variety of honeybees is almost endless. Now, you may not think that undertaker bees have a very important job, but imagine if they didn't do their job. That's really important to remove those dead bees from the hive. Every single job is important. Likewise, Paul is saying this, every part of the body of Christ is significant. We need you. Recently, we welcomed a new class of members to NBC. These individuals were brought up to the stage and they were prayed for. And the chair of our elder board said something rather profound in that moment. He said this, God is the one who has brought us together. And based on the fact that he knows what he has in store for NBC, we believe that he is equipping and preparing us so together we can collectively be more effective for his kingdom. And so the question that you and I have to ask ourselves this morning is a sober one. How am I gifted and how am I currently using it? Not 10 years ago, today. Uh, Take a look up at the screen. You'll see a slide and there's a QR code at the bottom of this next slide. So take out your smartphone if you would, if you have one of these, and open up your phone and then open up the camera app on your phone and just point the camera, don't take the picture, but just point the camera at that QR code till it pops up on your camera app and then you'll get a little link that will take you to one of our web pages. And just click on that link for a second. Everybody just do this if you would. And you'll notice when you go there, it'll take you to the sharing your gifts opportunities slide. And inside that slide, we have just simply compiled all different opportunities for you to use your gifts and to serve at your local church. If you want, listen, if you want to feel connected at our church, this is the way you will feel connected. Sign up to serve and plug in and get on a team. You could serve in the kids' ministry. You could serve in our youth ministry. You could serve with production, uh, with graphics and AV. You can serve on our worship team. You can serve in small groups, teaching in adult ed with seniors, hospitality. We have a Stephen ministry. We have a missions team. We need communications servants. We need uh, those with gifts in administration. Lots and lots of opportunities to serve. And so my challenge you today, for you today, and if you don't have a phone, there's little paper cards in front of you and the chairs in front of you. You could just 
invite someone to learn more about that opportunity to serve. In other words, make, make a, uh, an inquiry into one area of service and find out what it would look like to serve in that area. Or you can turn in one of your cards to the basket in the back and we'll get in touch with you with how you can use your gifts. Just think about this. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, is inviting you and me to be part of building his church and building his kingdom. I encourage you to use his, the gifts that he's given you for his glory. Now, there's a lot of gifts in this passage. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians, there are specific kinds of gifts that are often coined the charismatic gifts, the supernatural gifts, the sign gifts. And since we're in 1 Corinthians, I thought it would be appropriate to spend some time discussing those gifts in this message because we don't normally emphasize those. Before I do that, let me put up here a spectrum. Some of you come from different ends on this spectrum. Maybe you're here today and you come from a more Pentecostal or charismatic background. If you're in that group, you're more familiar with some of these gifts than others. Another group of you, like me, come from a different kind of background, more of a cessationist background, meaning you've been taught that these sign gifts were only foundational for the early church and are not relevant for today. I was taught that these gifts only occurred in clusters throughout history, like in the church age, the apostles' age. And then over time, I have begun to study the word a little bit more carefully, and I have noticed a shift in my own spirit. I'm actually a little nervous just to share this with you. Uh, But I was studying, uh, there was a Dallas Seminary professor named Jack Deere who wrote a book called Surprised by the Holy Spirit. And inside of that book, uh, he made a a pretty good case for the fact that those gifts were not just limited to the first century, but uh, he documented lots of... um, cases of of those gifts being exercised throughout church history. And so now I find myself more in the middle of this spectrum somewhere, and it's making me nervous. Um, But that's where I am, just being honest with you. But I didn't get there because of some experience I had. I got there because of my commitment to Scripture and what I see the Scriptures are teaching. And maybe some of you are like me. You're in like in the middle somewhere, the messy middle. And then maybe there's another group of people in here, and you have no opinion whatsoever. You've never even thought about this, and that's okay too. Uh, We'll think through it together. But today, since we're in 1 Corinthians, it's appropriate for us to address these supernatural gifts. And I'll give you three categories uh, to put them in in terms of buckets in your mind. There are discerning gifts, declarative gifts, and dynamic gifts. Discerning, declaring, dynamic. Three groups of three. The first one is a message of knowledge. What this is, it's, it's defined as the ability to know something specific without having learned it by natural means. And so, for example, one time Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, and um, she says, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. It's like, whoa, this is awkward all of a sudden, right? This is a word of knowledge that he had. Peter has a similar experience in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira come to him with an offering. He says, why are you lying about the offering that you're giving? You're not giving the, the full offering, and you're acting like you're giving more than you're faking it. Like, well, right there, he has a supernatural impartation of, of knowledge, This is what that gift is. And so this can happen from time to time. The Lord will give someone a message of knowledge that they shouldn't have known, and it will be for some spiritual door to be opened or for some purpose. The second one, a message of wisdom, is very similar, though slightly different. This can be defined as a divine answer or a solution to a particular event. And so sometimes God will give wisdom when you're not sure you're at the crossroads and it's not right or wrong, but maybe it's right or left, and he gives you direction or confirmation, or he gives you wisdom to know how to handle that type of situation. 
A lot of you have really complicated problems in your life, and you're not sure sometimes what decision to make. So can I just ask you a question? Would it be okay with you? Uh, Would it be all right if every now and again the Holy Spirit would give you knowledge or wisdom that you need to get through a situation in your life? Would that be okay with you if the Holy Spirit opened a door for you in that way? Perhaps we could be open to that. The, the third one in this column, the discerning gifts, is called the discerning of spirits. What this is, is it's defined as the ability to distinguish between the activity of the Holy Spirit and unholy demonic spirits. There's an example of this in the book of Acts. In Acts 16, Paul sees a demon-possessed girl, and she's uh, you know, some sort of fortune teller, and she's, she's testifying to Paul's ministry uh, under, under demonic possession, and what she's saying is actually technically true, but Paul casts out this unholy spirit from her because Paul doesn't want his ministry confirmed by an unholy demon, and so he cleanses her from this unholy spirit, and in turn, um, God does a great work there in Philippi because of this, this wonderful uh, work of the spirit. That's called the discerning of spirits. Now, sometimes we have problems in life, and we're not sure exactly the nature of these problems. Sometimes you face a problem, you're not sure if it's like emotional or spiritual or relational or physical. And so the discerning of spirits is there as a gift from God to tell you what it is. So, so can I ask you a question? Would it be okay with you if sometimes God, the Holy Spirit, if you were facing a problem, directed you to let you know that this is actually a, a spiritual force that you're against and you need to go against this with spiritual weapons and you need to spend some time in fasting and prayer and do spiritual warfare about this issue in order for you to get through Would it be okay with you if God the Holy Spirit helped you discern that? Maybe we should be open to that. And so the second column of gifts is the declarative gifts. The first one is tongues. Here's where I'm going to get in trouble. A tongue uh, is defined as a message from God in a language unknown to the person through whom the message comes. I guarantee you what I'm about to say here will make none of you happy. Okay, no, nobody's going to be happy with this. Now, the word tongues in the Bible is the word glossa or glossolalia. It's where we get our English word glossary from. It just means languages. That's what the word means. And there's two ways to understand this gift. The first way is speaking to other people in known languages. This happens in Acts chapter 2. We see this. The Holy Spirit comes upon the early church, not just the apostles, but there's 120 people there. And the apostles get up and they start speaking in other languages that they had never learned before. And the people listening were from all these other countries and other places. And they were able to hear them speaking in their own language. That's this gift. Speaking in languages they had not learned before. Why? So that the gospel could go to places that it had never gone before. Because that's what our Lord Jesus is doing. He's building his church And the church has to have every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And so right in Acts chapter 2, he explodes the church immediately. And so that's one way to understand this gift. There's a second way to understand this gift, which is that some people believe there's another form in which there's tongues not speaking to other people, but tongues speaking to God. It's a personal prayer language that's not a known language. Listen, listen to how Paul describes it in chapter 14, verse 14. He says this, And if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so some people understand that to mean he's speaking in a language that's not a known language, but that it's a prayer language between him and God. 
There's a variety of opinions about this, even here at NBC, uh, and I, I respect those different opinions. I want to be careful about how I speak about this in a gracious way, and for the sake of church unity, uh, we want to do two things. Number one, we don't want to forbid the speaking in tongues. The reason is because 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29 says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. There's literally a verse about it. So we're not going to do that. We're not going to quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to be careful here and reverent. Why? Because our commitment to the scriptures, not because of some experience, because our commitment to what the, what the word of God says. But we're also going to respect the context of when this practice would be appropriate and be careful about having any kind of uninterpreted tongues in a worship service. This is actually forbidden in chapter 14. Look at what Paul says in verses 18 through 20. He says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. And so here he says, when you gather together for corporate worship, it is better if you would speak in a way that everyone can understand you for mutual edification. This is the corporate worship environment. Now, there are some people who think all believers should speak in tongues, and it's an evidence of the baptism of the Spirit. I don't know that that idea can be supported here in the text. If you look in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, all of you have been baptized in chapter 12, verse 13, but clearly he also says in verse 30, not all of you are speaking in tongues. And so my understanding is this seems to be one of the spiritual gifts. So if you exercise that gift in your life as a private prayer language, that's between you and the Lord. Now you might say, well, why wouldn't you want that gift exercised in the services at NBC? Well, that leads us to the next gift. The next gift is called the interpretation of tongues. And this is defined as understanding and expressing the thought or intent of the message in tongues. And this is where we run into and kind of discover there was a problem happening at the worship services at the church of Corinth. People were coming together and they were highlighting, especially this one gift, tongues, in the corporate experience. And they were all speaking in tongues and they were all sometimes speaking at the same time. And it was creating a kind of chaotic environment. And those who had the gift of tongues were feeling a sense of superiority to other believers who maybe weren't exercising the gift of tongues. And they were concerned about their flashy gifts and having them look special instead of meeting the needs of the body, which is why we gather corporately. And so that was creating a disturbing environment for people. So Paul specifically addresses that in chapter 14, verse 23. He says this, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say, you are out of your mind? So Paul says, when you do this, you're creating an environment that's chaotic, and people are going to think you're kind of crazy. And so Paul says, refrain from doing that. And I've seen that happen in churches where someone will speak in tongues, and other people are confused by that. And the pastor will have to pull that person aside and say, listen, uh, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14, when there's not an interpreter, you can't speak this way in a corporate uh, worship service. It creates sort of a chaotic environment, and that can be sort of an awkward moment. And the reason Paul says this, though, is because we, we should always prioritize the mission of God. We should always think about those on the outside and making sure that they get to hear the gospel. Now, I know there's some tension here. I can kind of feel the tension in the room. Um, and you might think, well, who is Paul? 
to tell them not to exercise this gift? Or who are you, Pastor Dave, to say we can't you know, do that in a corporate worship environment? And the answer to that question, I say this with all humility, is I serve as one of the pastors of this church. It's literally my job to make sure that our corporate worship services are, are honoring to God and, and done in an orderly way. And so please be respectful of people who may disagree about this. Okay, got through that, all right. Next gift, prophecy. <laughs> I told you nobody's gonna be happy with this today. All right, prophecy. Uh, this is defined as a message of encouragement from God to another person. And so sometimes we see prophecy in the New Testament. Sometimes, you know, Philip's daughters are prophesying and there's messages that are delivered by the Holy Spirit for a very specific situation. That's prophecy. Now, can I just... Also add another word of caution here. Please be very careful when you elevate your speech to the thus saith the Lord level. There's a commandment in one of the Ten Commandments about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. This could be a violation of that commandment if you're not careful. Just because you're feeling something strongly doesn't necessarily mean it's a prophecy from God. So how do you know if it's a prophecy? Well, Take a look at how it's defined in chapter 14 and verse 3, where Paul describes prophecy in this way. He says this. Let me put it up on the screen for you. He says, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Notice those three words. Strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Notice it does not say your criticism and your correction through prophecy. I say that because some people have a very critical spirit and they say this is a prophetic message from God to you, but really what it is is just their own criticism that they, they want to elevate to the level of divine speech. So can, can I just encourage you to clothe yourself with humility if, if you feel that this is a gift that you have or God has uh, given you this, this special uh, gift of prophecy. Please don't walk up to somebody and say, God told me to tell you this. That is toxic, that's just kind of rude, and it's, it's just awkward, okay? You're just being weird, you're just being weird. So <laughs> instead, consider a humble approach where you would come to that person and say, hey, I have this sense, and I sense that I need to say something to you. I, I feel like the Lord's given me, this may or may not be from the Lord, but if this is something that is confirmed in your spirit right now, then receive this as a word of God to you. And so take a humble approach if you're going to exercise this, this kind of gift because we can sort of get into trouble there. So that's the gift of prophecy. Okay, the third column is the dynamic gifts. Okay, the first one is the gift of faith. This is defined as a supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a very specific situation. We're not talking about the kind of faith in God that we all have to have. We all have to have faith in God. This is a very unique assurance, a unique confidence about something that's very specific. You just know that God's going to make a way where there just seems to be no way, and God has given you that kind of confidence as a gift. So let me ask you, if you're going through a hard time, would it be okay with you if God the Holy Spirit came to you to assure you that it's going to be all right? Does God have your permission to give you that gift? That's the gift of faith. He's good. He's, he's a good God. Uh, the next one in that column, the dynamic gift column, is the gift of healings. This is defined as supernatural endowments of divine health. And so sometimes God, in his almighty power, will reveal his kingdom through physical healing. Or sometimes he'll just reveal his compassion through physical healing. 
And we've seen this throughout church history. And this one's super controversial because when we think of this gift, oftentimes what comes to our mind is some shyster in a white suit that's exploiting people for their money. And this gift can be really abused in that way. And that's not right. And woe unto them and shame on them for abusing and exploiting God's gifts in this way. We ought to be quick to correct abuse. Very serious. But can I also ask you a different question? Does the presence of abuse necessarily negate the proper use of the gift? I I think it would be better for us to take more of an open posture about this. Throughout the scriptures, we see that God is, his name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. And from time to time, he will show his might and power and put it on display for you and heal his people. Now, God doesn't always heal. We have to have a robust theology of suffering, and he uses trials for our good. But sometimes, it's his will to make known his power and make known his might in the work of healing. That's the gift of healing. The next gift on this column is the last one, the gift of miracles. This is defined as divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances, similar to the above. Some people say that there are no more miracles for today. If you don't believe in miracles, I encourage you to pick up a two-volume book. It's 1,100 pages called Miracles, written by Dr. Craig Keener. Inside that book, I have it in my office, he documents about 1,000 supernatural miracle claims just from the last 20 years. The table of contents in that book amazes me every time. I open it up to the first page. It just says, miracles in Asia, miracles in South America, miracles in Africa. Stories in there will absolutely blow your mind. A lot of the miracles that he documents are pre and post MRI, CAT scan, X-ray kind of thing. You read this and you go, no way. Like there's this one example of a Russian woman in there who had her spleen removed. She went to the hospital, had her spleen removed. The church was praying for her. She goes for her post-op checkup and she's got a spleen. They took it out. She had, she had, she had a spleen, she had no spleen, now she's got a spleen. Now, if you don't believe in miracles, if you, don't understand, if you have no category in your brain for that, you're going to have a hard time documenting why this happens. Craig Keener says, there's thousands of these things. In a recent study I saw amongst doctors uh, showed that 70% of medical doctors in America believe in miracles. And when they were asked, have you ever seen a miracle amongst your own patients? 40% said yes. So now I'm going to do something really dangerous. This could go wrong. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to pull the audience. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second, okay? Here's the question. If at any time in your life you have seen God work any kind of miracle, would you please raise your hand and keep it up for a second? Look around. Church, how did we ever get to the place where we don't believe in miracles? That's who he is. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who you are. That is who he is. And so these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to the church to glorify God. And let me say this. If you're saved, 
If you're a Christian, you're a miracle. God has made you alive in his son. So these are the spiritual gifts. And now we get to the third section, the goal. All of the gifts of the spirit, whether the sign gifts or the rest of the the gifts, the, the, the pastoring gifts, the teaching gifts, gifts of prophecy, gifts of mercy, gifts of helps, gifts of healing, these are all given for one goal. They're all given for one purpose. As we exercise these gifts, they're given for mutual edification, they're given for the common good, and they are given to glorify God. There is a word that's used in the New Testament that's a substitute word for gifts. It's the word signs. These signs accompanied those who believe. A sign points somewhere. A sign points to something. A sign, in this case, points to someone. All of these gifts, whether miraculous gifts or traditional gifts, all of these gifts are signposts pointing toward our Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel on our behalf. All of the gifts demonstrate the power of Jesus and his kingdom and his glory. There's a throne in heaven and around this throne, there's like circles and concentric circles. There's like an upper deck and we are all gathered around this throne because all of the action is about the one seated on the throne and he's the one receiving the glory through these gifts. Now, my experience in the ministry is that some churches are all heat and no light and some churches are all light and no heat. And what I mean by that is the churches that are all light and no heat, they have their doctrine correct. They know Hebrew. They know Greek. They have their systematic theology in a row. They've got God in this box. They are really committed to the scriptures, though, and they are great at things like expository preaching and theology classes. This, this is a church that's all light. And then sometimes there's not really a category for the work of the Holy Spirit and what he might like to do. And then other churches are all heat and no light. They highly emphasize the supernatural, the gifts of the Spirit, but they, they don't remain tethered to the Word of God. They, 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 they get off in their doctrine. They're not committed to the Scriptures. They're not really even centered where they should be centered on the foundation of the Gospel and the Word of God. They're just all heat and no light, and it becomes very chaotic in those churches. And so my heart as a pastor, and where God is growing me and nudging me in a very uncomfortable way, I can't even tell you how uncomfortable I am just up here talking about this, but where God is nudging me is to create an environment that's a balance of both heat and light because that's where God wants us to go. I want to share with you a quote that just wrecked me. This quote just really impacted me, and I I hope that you understand the impact that this quote had on me when I I read it for you. It's by an author, R.T. Kendall. He said this, there are word churches and there are spirit churches. There has been a great divorce in the church between word and spirit. And like any divorce, some kids go with the mom and some kids go with the dad. Revival happens when you bring those two together. Revival happens when you bring those two together. Revival happens when you bring those two. Millington Baptist Church, let's bring those two together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Let's take light and let's take heat. Let's bring those two together. Amen. Would you pray with me? Let me invite the worship team to come up on stage. Heavenly Father, thank you that this is a battleship. Lord, all hands are on deck. I thank you for these folks. I look out on their faces and I see people that I love with all my heart. I see people that you've worked in, that you've brought here to Millington for very different reasons, with very different gifts. I see people with incredible potential. Lord, may each of us today say, here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, use me. I'm willing to take my time, my talents. I want to make room in my schedule to serve you and do what's important as we consider this commitment of ministry. We realize it can be uncomfortable, it can be scary to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, but you never call us to do what you don't always also equip us and anoint us and empower us to do. And so help us, God, to grow, help us to discover our gifts, and help us to be all that you made us to be as individuals and as a corporate body. We would want this, and we pray for this, we long for this. Dare we ask that you make a church that is full of both heat and light here in Millington. For Christ's sake and for his reputation, we pray. Amen.